Hi, this is Cody Daigle-Oriens. Before we get started with this week's episode, I wanted to tell you a little bit about a project we're launching here at Bearded Fruit. On May 1st, we'll be starting Everyday Activist, a year-long web project that aims to shine a light on the people and organizations around the globe working to improve the lives of LGBT people. Now, we'll feature real people working in the LGBT community, offering their wisdom, their insight, and their suggestions on how any of us, LGBT or ally, can be a better everyday activist. So each day starting in May, we'll publish a short five-question interview with someone in the community. And the interview will describe the work they do, offer some inspiring words about the necessity of our activism, and conclude with a suggestion of a simple action that anyone could do to help improve the lives of LGBT people. We hope Everyday Activist will inspire people to engage in advocacy every single day of their lives. In small ways, each day, hopefully, we can inspire people to move the world forward. So if you're interested in participating in Everyday Activists, just send us an email at beardedfruitpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll send you all the information you need to participate. And as always, thanks for listening, and on with the episode. Hi, this is Cody Daigle-Oriens. And this is Neil Daigle-Oriens. And welcome back to another episode of Bearded Fruit. Bearded Fruit for all your fruity needs. Yeah. <laughs> like a market? Like yeah. a fruit market? Yeah. Um, 90s kids get that reference. It It's Spongebob. Oh, okay. Um, well, before we d- dig in anything, um, we have to introduce someone. We have our first guest. Oh, my God. Our first guest. Technically, Connor's the first guest. We remember you. Like, yeah, but like our first, um, like, panel-y kind of guest. Mm. Yeah, and uh, so say hi to Patrick McGrady. Hello, world. <laughs> hi, that's, Patrick. That's hi. Dr. Patrick McGrady. Dr. Patrick McGrady, yes. sociology, so. <laughs> it counts. Yeah, Patrick is going to join us today for uh, this episode. And uh, so, Patrick, like, uh, introduce yourself. Well, um, I'm Patrick McGrady. I am a uh, sociology professor down at the wonderful University of New Haven. Uh, and is that all you want to know about me? Do you want to know other things about me? Like, what else do you What do you know? research? Um, I do research uh, kind of in two areas. I do um, education research, but primarily uh, gender, the body, social stigma, and uh, sexualities. Yay, Patrick! Yes. And we're super happy to have Patrick here. We'll have a link You're to welcome. his faculty profile yes, at the University will. of New Haven. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I can provide that. Everybody can see your face! So today we're going to be talking about North Carolina because this past week uh, North Carolina passed uh, a sweeping anti-LGBT piece of legislation that was um, it's become kind of the, like the biggest news story. Yeah, LGBT news this week. Uh, And so what we're going to do today is we wanted to have Patrick here and talk a little bit about the implications of that bill, what that means for the LGBT community, and just some other issues and concerns that came up from uh, North care from this bill in North Carolina. Uh, And so and for anybody who doesn't know about what happened in North Carolina, and also like the kind of the timeline and a little bit of background, uh, we put together a little piece to explain the bill. Roll the clip, Jerry. Okay, so what exactly happened in North Carolina? It starts in Charlotte. So all those in favor, um, and 
The mayor is not allowed to vote on this one. All those in favor, um, raise your hand. And all those opposed? Okay, so we have that passing seven to four, and thank you very much. On February 22nd, the Charlotte City Council approved seven to four amendments to the city's existing non discrimination ordinance, adding marital and familial status, sexual orientation, gender expression, and gender identity to the list of the ordinance's protected characteristics. Now, it wasn't an easy fight. A key component of the new measure, that it would allow transgender people to use bathrooms that corresponded to their gender identity, was hotly debated. Mr. Richards, a 57-year-old from England, has hundreds of colorful feather tattoos on his body, face, and eyeballs. He has had both ears surgically removed, all because he believes he is a parrot. I submit to you that soon, Council, you will be forcing business owners to install litter boxes and newspapers in bathrooms to accommodate this new trans species psychosis. Ours are only fear-mongering. White woman identifies as black. 52-year-old man identifies as a six-year-old girl. Sighted woman identifies as blind. Man identifies as woman. Hey, if we're going to throw out science and DNA, who cares? I care. I want my children protected. Still, it passed. And the measure was set to go into effect on April 1st. Enter the North Carolina General Assembly. Transgender students in our community are going to be discriminated against and bullied against, and it'll be legal. They move beyond uh, what uh, what was appropriate for a local government to uh, to work on. Right now at 11, even with Democrats walking out, state lawmakers vote to strike down Charlotte's controversial bathroom ordinance. Now, the assembly wasn't officially slated to meet until late April, but lawmakers called a special session, which cost North Carolina taxpayers over $42,000 on March 23rd to consider House Bill 2, a sweeping piece of legislation that would make state law override all local ordinances concerning wages, employment, and public accommodations. Ordinances like the one in Charlotte. Anyone, quite frankly, with... with with that intent could use this Charlotte ordinance as an excuse to be somewhere that we all know they don't belong. This bill is using an ordinance that impacted just one of those cities in order to hijack local governing bodies across the state. If House Bill 2 passes its third reading. In less than 12 hours, the bill passed the House and the Senate, with Democratic lawmakers actually walking out of the Senate in protest of the bill and was signed into law that evening by Governor Pat McCrory. So what does it mean for North Carolina? Well, it means that local governments no longer have the authority to craft laws prohibiting discrimination in public places based on sexual orientation and gender identity. The law also says that all public schools, government agencies, and public college campuses are required to have all multiple occupancy restrooms and changing areas be used only according to one's, quote, biological sex. So what happened in North Carolina? The passage of the country's most sweeping anti-LGBT piece of legislation. Is it my height or my Adam's apple that makes me less of a human being? Is it my broad shoulders or my genitalia? I don't want special treatment and I do not want to change anyone's beliefs or lifestyle choices. I only want to be treated equally. 
it seems like these pieces of anti-LGBT legislation are now popping up everywhere. Uh, ahead of this bill, there was one in Georgia, which um, was also kind of hotly debated and contested. And now in, there, in nine other states, there are 14 pieces of anti-LGBT legislation, particularly anti-trans legislation, that are going to be up in a variety of, of areas. So, so what's going on? There tends to always be radical conservative pushback during moments of progress. So it, it almost feels like people are seeing trans people. They're gaining more visibility. Queer folks are gaining visibility. And then suddenly that means, suddenly that means, oh, these people exist. We should oppress them. Yeah, it's it's in any any type of um, like kind of social movement or towards progress, you always want to have like these um, kind of regressive movements and these um, um, that have like these. You know, I wouldn't call it a small. I think it's probably a pretty big victory for the for that side of the argument, um, and um, which is pretty unfortunate. But yeah, and the the. The upcoming pieces of legislation, because North Carolina uh, is only one out of many, they're they're really sort of circulating around anti-trans issues. Um, the the majority of the the nine states that are considering bills are uh, that are anti-trans are public high school, public school bathroom bills, and also general public restroom bills in like Illinois, Kansas, Kentucky. And then surprise, this was very surprising to me. There's a public bathrooms bill in Massachusetts that's in committee and being considered, which I would not have expected that to come out of a New England state. But there are also bills that are focusing on denial of vital records, like Tennessee is looking at that. And in South Carolina, they're looking at one uh, transition-related healthcare refusal bills. What does does denial of vital records mean? Um, That they would not allow them to change their vital records. Oh, so you wouldn't be able to change your gender or your gender marker, how your gender is coded on official documents. Correct. That's unfortunate. Well, there's also, like, isn't there um, efforts also in Kansas to um, actually provide rewards to students who are going to call out or police uh, uh, other students who um, are who are basically transgender? Um, I think there's, like, a, like a cash reward or something. $2,500. Never mind that that Kansas is completely broke right now. So they, you know, barring all the financial problems, but uh, to me, like at least at the that level, uh, is a major problem with bullying, um, which has been a persistent issue. You're uh, literally paying kids to bully each other, right? So like, I kind of think like ten or fifteen years down the road, like what sort of kids are we creating? Both the bulliers, but also. Um, not, we, we know what happens to people who experience a lifetime of bullying. They have lots of, there's mental health problems, there's suicide ideation, there's uh, a lack of opportunity for, for upward mobility things. A lot of these kids drop out. And, you know, when you're encouraging kids to go on these witch hunts, um, that's, that to me paints a very scary picture of society in 10 to 15 years from now when, when these are adults. Well, something that struck me uh, when I was thinking about this episode in North Carolina, um, this kind of flurry of bills that are focused around uh, sort of transphobic ideas, and they're, they're really built in—they're built around fear of the unknown, particularly of the transgender unknown. Remind me a lot of other bills that were focused to different segments of the LGBT community, like in the '70s with the the Briggs Initiative. Do you remember? Do you know that? I'm reading it on your Word yeah. document right now. Right. Well, the Briggs Initiative in the 70s, Anita Bryant and uh, a legislator in California put together legislation that would ban 
gay Almost. teachers, homosexuals from being teachers, because that was it was terrible. Like the children, we have to save the children from mm -hmm. from gay people. And when Prop 8 was in California, they also used that like the leverage of like they'll teach same sex marriage in the school. So we have to save the children from from gay people to to further this legislation that really had nothing to do with with what where their fears were located. It seems to me that now that you can't necessarily get away with that kind of legislative fear tactic with gay people, the trans community is now being the target for that. They're, the they're new, now they're the, the new, new scapegoat. Yeah, they're the new scapegoat. Yeah, exactly. And that that kind of rhetoric always upsets me at a very very deep level because I was queer and I was a child. Um, there's something really interesting in the socialization of children that they are allowed to have sexualities and they are allowed to have gender so long as it is hetero and cisgender. Otherwise, no, they, they're too young. They can't be queer. They're too young. And that's just not true. That That's not even remotely a fact. Yeah. So around the North Carolina bill and also in connection to the one in Georgia, which happened recently, um, there's been a positive. Businesses, large corporations and celebrities and, and other large entities are speaking out against these bills. And presenting what could be sort of disastrous repercussions for states like North, North Carolina or Georgia. In Georgia, The Walking Dead has said that they may remove filming from Georgia because of the anti-gay legislation that's on the table there. Um, the NBA suggested that it might reconsider plans to host the 2017 All-Star Game in Charlotte if they don't get rid of this legislation. Um, a Facebook spokesman tweeted that they were, quote, disappointed. Uh, the NFL also released similar statements that they wouldn't consider Georgia mm -hmm. as yeah. a possible future uh, Super Bowl location. And Apple, uh, who has an out gay CEO, their statement was, Apple stores and our company are open to everyone, regardless of where they come from, what they look like, how they worship, or who they love. Our future as Americans should be focused on inclusion and prosperity, and not discrimination and division. We are disappointed to see Governor McCrory sign this legislation. Yeah. So, so is this sort of response from businesses positively affecting the movement as a whole? I take it with a grain of salt because on one hand I think boycotting and um, kind of blocking that is a, is a good tactic. On the other hand, I think about the people who work at these places who could be losing jobs over that, who um, might not have a homophobic or transphobic bone in their body. So I, I, it's a grain of salt for me. I think, I think it's a great tactic, um, but I do kind of worry about... Um, you know the everyday working person how how it affects the actual economy yeah i mean it's 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 i mean which kind of i think kind of represents the whole short-sightedness of these types of bills right it's you got a bunch of um homophobic transphobic people making legislation who are who are angry that there has been some progress and they're angry that there's been so much visibility um that we're just gonna we're gonna throw rocks back. We're not gonna think about the consequences. Uh, and then you know if, if this is if, this, if these are things that come to fruition, then you know down the road they're gonna have to answer questions. Not just like how did you protect our family values, which well, how do you define that? But also why did you kill our economy? You know, which so it's um, so yeah. I take a grain of salt. I think. Well, I think too it. Um 
there, there's something about these kind of responses from from large businesses that that seems to address our emotional need for feeling good about these kind of things. Like we, they say yes, we we believe in we believe in inclusion, we believe in diversity, and we all go yes, Apple, I believe too. But we're not really necessarily addressing the the reason why these kind of legislation this legislation passes in the first place. Get encouraging people to vote for representatives in there at local levels and state levels that are going to actually make laws that don't harm LGBT people. Now, we're not necessarily interested in that kind of not sexy work. We're much more interested in, you know, like, oh, when Oreo had the... the um, rainbow crayon. The rainbow crayon. It was like, yeah, let's all go buy rainbow cookies. That makes us feel good and we, we love Oreo. But does that actually address the nuts and bolts of, of legislation that can harm LGBT people? Not really. Well, I mean, it's just a, it's a, um, it's a form of activism. It's an, it's an easy form of activism. And it's, I think it's meeting some sort of psychological need of, of doing something. Um, it, it's very pat yourself on the back, though. Yeah. That's yeah. how it feels like. And sometimes that's very helpful. And I will say there is, there's definitely something positive in, like, I can imagine being queer in one of these states and seeing that kind of a, a response from a company and feeling like a moment of solidarity. So I can understand, like, at the very least, it does fulfill those yeah. needs. But there is definitely something to be said. Like, maybe there should be that. Well, not maybe there definitely should be something more active, something more on an organizational level that can in a systemic level, even that can really tackle these issues and get the people who are trying to harm other people out of legislative positions. Plus, I really wonder, like, what does a bill like this look like in action? Like, are we, are we really gonna see businesses posting like no gays, no trans? Are, are we gonna see that? Like, and if so, it's really sad. But... Well, I know that we have already seen signs like that with like no Muslims. Like, true, that has true. already happened. So it wouldn't it wouldn't push it past me. But also, you're not gonna see that on a Target or a Walmart. You're not gonna see that like anywhere that is a huge business or even just anywhere like it's not going to be everywhere necessarily it'll be random niche places that let's be honest us queers have way more class than to go to those places let's not talk about target that way <laughs> well it's i mean it's yeah because i mean I, I think about from that from that perspective like is it is it financially viable to have that it's so it's just i just it doesn't make sense to me because it's so like it's so counterproductive to if you're a business and you want to make money, you probably shouldn't really care about their religion, race, or gender identity, or who they're sleeping with. You know, it, that shouldn't really matter. You just want their money. So it just it just it's so counterintuitive to me that, which kind of gets at the absurd, absurd the initial absurdity of a bill like this because. Well, something that's interesting about the North Carolina bill is that the. Um, the stuff that was all about bathrooms was only part of the bill. The bill went on to also say that local and like city agencies could not raise the minimum wage. And they also couldn't have, they couldn't require businesses that were going to come into their cities to pay more than the minimum wage in contracts. So underneath the the salacious bathroom stuff that caused everybody to freak out and go to the town meetings and talk about, they were also passing these really kind of insidious classist right laws that were governing the way local agencies could conduct business, which I feel like cynically, that was the whole reason you're doing it in the first place. And we're going to, we're going to slide the thing we really want under the thing that will make all the news headlines yeah, I've been watching a lot of X-Files lately, so anything that remotely, like, 
points at a government government conspiracy, I am all about. <laughs> well, even even going back on Patrick's point about, um, I'm sorry, Doctor McGrady. No, uh, no, please. <laughs> even going back on Patrick's point, talking about it's not viable for business. You want people to put your money. Why would you have signs up like that? Thinking about schools, which are not technically businesses. You want your kids to succeed. Why would you do that to them? Like, why Why would a state do that to their children when it's already hard enough to be in high school, let alone be in high school and an other, let alone be in high school and other that is systematically oppressed because they can't use the bathroom they feel the most comfortable in? Like, they're not going to get good SAT scores out of those kids. They just aren't. And then their schools are going to plummet. Children are going to be left behind. The bushes are going to cry. Everything is going to be terrible. Well, and I think if we're really going to be serious about it in these bathroom situations that deal with schools and public spaces, in public spaces, it's going to be business as usual. Tr- adult trans people are just going to continue to be in the bathrooms that they're going to that they've normally gone into, and they're that that the, we won't you won't see like some severe drawback. It's young people that will have the most trouble it's kids in schools where there are people literally monitoring the hallways and seeing which bathroom you go into and you're going to take you're going to take young trans kids who are already having an incredibly difficult time and making that enormously more difficult and making the possibility of them dropping out of school higher or suicide higher like it's really it'll 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 be terrible for a whole generation of young trans people. It's just a lose-lose situation, regardless. I mean, I think, I think, I think you'll still see some adult effects too, because, I mean, the idea, even if you might not be watched, right? There's because I think part of this problem with the, with this language of this bill is that there's sort of it's like this got this like 1984 kind of feel to it, like we're watching you. Um, and I, I just started reading that book, so that's why I bring it up. But um, so, um, but. It feels like even if like you're gonna feel like you know, well, no one probably is really watching me, but sort of like this "what if," you know, because that one time that you're caught, you know, uh, and I hate even using that term "caught," but that's sort of what it is. Um, that could have profound impact on you know life chances, publicity. You know, those things don't just go away; like that tends to follow you around. Um, but so I, th- I think you'll still see. Uh, even adults kind of at least feeling like this sort of like this we're always being watched kind of thing, which is just stressful. Well, especially when you consider like when you consider the, a lot of the rhetoric, the, the, the anti this bill rhetoric coming out of it, um, especially on social media, has been focusing on do you really want me to be in the same bathroom as your wife? And it shows this incredibly passing um, handsome trans man. And that's a little problematic because even trans adults aren't always passing. And there's there should be no need to pass just to use the bathroom you want to use. It, it, it's weird because those memes kind of feel, they feel so Caitlyn Jenner to me. They feel so just like you have to pass in order to be trans. And that's not true. You, you don't have to shave your face in order to be a trans woman. You can still be a woman. You don't have to do these things. You don't have to pass. So, yeah, sure, they may not be looking at the super passable guys and girls going to the bathrooms that they want to, but that doesn't mean they're not going to clock someone who isn't passable. Yeah, and I think also um, the problem with this is that there's it's always this playing up on this sort of specter of victimization. Um, I can remember a couple of years ago um, down in West Haven where I work, um, I, was, I, had, I had to park at the grocery store because there was no parking 
on my campus. Uh, and when I came back to my car, there was like this flyer from a, a local politician, and it was based on this whole our opponent uh, supports, you know, uh, basically creepy men using bathrooms with your daughter, kind of like this idea. And it's, I always kind of find it interesting that the, the play is that we are trying to protect women and girls, uh, which, you know, one is just absurd because transgender folks are not predators. It's the, it's the other, you know, more, uh, it's the cisgender people you have to worry about. But, um, but um that we are also telling our girls and women to be afraid to always protect yourself. And just to me, just more broadly extends a, a very terrible aspect of our gender culture, I guess. Well, and down with the binary. Yeah. And these laws don't do anything to actually protect anyone. They don't change bathrooms. They just criminalize trans people. That's all they really succeed in doing. And if, if the concern, and yeah, the concern that is that they say are being addressed by these bills is that the possibility that someone can, like a man can go into the women's restroom and then physically or sexually assault them. You're not really doing anything to address people who are violent predators. You're just, they're going to, they would be happy to go into the bathroom anyway. If their goal is to assault a person, that's going to happen whether or not this law exists. Well, and taking it a step further, it ignores actual like sexual assault trends mm-hmm. and statistics. It's not random people who go into the bathroom. It's acquaintances. It's family. It's friends. That's what hap- That's when sexual assault occurs mostly. And it'll be much more likely for a trans person having to go into the bathroom that is not connected to their gender identity to be the victim of some kind of assault or violence. Like a trans woman in the men's bathroom runs a higher risk of being attacked or this or being become the becoming the victim of violence. It it almost feels like it's a deliberate attempt to make those situations occur. Like they're trying to get trans women to be forced into the men's room so that they are attacked. Like that's how it feels. That's what it feels like. Well it's like a in and that that would play right into their plan, right? It's like a self fulfilling kind of prophecy that we look, we said this would happen, and look, it's happened. So, of course, we need to enact more strict legislation and more control over your over who you are and your body. And um, it's just Just it's let people absurd. pee. Just let people pee. Or do number two. That's also, we want to give people freedom to do all those things. Freedom to two. Freedom, freedom to, to two. two. Hashtag freedom to two. If that becomes a thing, that's going to be amazing. But that whole activism around kind of reinforcing that you have to pass to be a, a valid, uh, have a valid transgender identity. Like, what should activism look like um, that doesn't kind of catch those? There's such a there's there's such a focus on assimilation in that kind of activism. That's completely beside the point. I think that activism is just hard to come by because it's so intersectional. You're really mm-hmm. talking about trying to address a lot of very complicated and difficult identities hitting all about hitting to get coming together in in a place and to try to honor all those things and 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 i i think that i would i don't know that there's a way that we can do this kind of activism without somehow messing up on one of those fronts like how can you really address every identity accurately and respectfully and completely and to keep all the options on the table all the time that that just seems very hard not that i don't think you shouldn't try to do it but I just think it's very hard. It's 
it's incredibly difficult. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> so, so one of the, the I saw this response a lot, and it was something that if we could talk about, that'd be awesome. Uh, I saw a lot from my friends who were in the community, particularly my favorite thing to talk about, white gay guys, um, saying that they were shocked by this, that this was shocking. Oh my god, I can't believe I can't believe that this happened, and. It all stems from this idea that I think there's a segment of our community that seems to think we're post homophobia and that we're post anti LGBT sentiment just because of the Supreme Court ruling for marriage equality. That now we're post this. That that kind of um, that kind of rhetoric is exactly what leads the human rights campaign to support candidates that aren't actually in line with their supposed mission, and it's those kinds of things that. We're seeing, we're seeing white gay men as three white gay men in a, around a table, of course, acknowledging that privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing the conservative sides come out more and more. We're seeing that um, white gay men do not want true equality. They want to be part of the power structure. So now they are part of the power structure, and this is what we're seeing. We're seeing them go back to conservative to try and keep that power. That's what's happening. It's it's as simple as that. So of course we're not post transphobia and of course we're not post homophobia. Like there there really is very little indifference of privilege between us and cisgender heterosexual white men. Yeah, I I mean I think the idea is that kind of when you look at kind of any organization and the more like especially for for white gay men, the further up we go in status, the more we start to look like those people in the power structure um and therefore we start to adopt those attitudes um uh there um but i think this is also part of it of the whole surprise uh which i i mean i i also find that very troubling but um is that um white gay men in general have not really been too cool with transgender people uh i mean the broadly up until like the last probably 10 years transgender folks were pretty invisible in the LGBT movement um, there. And so I think it's just just more, it just kind of shows like how unaware and how invisible we treat these people. And it's unfortunate because now we're in the, we're in the, the position to do the most good because now we, we are increasing, we have increasing power. There's more power, there's more privilege as a white gay guy that I can use to further the goals of the community as a whole. And it's disappointing to me when I see white gay guys not do that. When I see that they're content to just sort of, cool, I can get married now, I can live the life that I sort of always wanted to live and it's rad now and I'm not gonna worry about I think this it's issue al- here. I think it's also a masculinity thing, right? Um, I think uh, someone who's not gender binary or who's kind of playing with the the uh, you know all the trappings of gender represents a major challenge to a gay man's masculinity and you look across any type of narrative of of one man's coming out story it's full of like troubling masculinity stories like how do how do I negotiate myself as masculine and also gay um and so i think part of the problem is that we've been so focused on like this this masculinity and the being able to get married and have kids is sort of like that last, you know, barrier to having, uh, being able to construct one's masculinity. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's also part of it. 
That's oh man, masculinity is heteronormativity. That's interesting. That's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Doctor McGrady. I. <laughs> but like, no, I. The, this conversation is just reminding me of, just even talking further about our own privilege. Like, the three of us are, when we're out and about, are pretty passable as straight men. Um, we're we're all three bearded. Um, kind of portly, if you will. Um, fluffy. <laughs> portly? Okay, Uh-oh. I'm sorry. We're fluffy. We're You're fluffy. portly. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Divorce. Clocked. <laughs> and that's how I uh, lost my marriage. No, but um, the three of us are very passable, and it just reminds me of the other day, Cody and I, we had just gotten lunch, and we were going to go to Kohl's right outside, and this random guy whatever just walks up to us and he's all did you guys see the yukon game and i didn't even realize he was talking to us at first and it's just funny because we were going in there to go to the women's clothing sections to find like a nice dress for cody to see if there's something that he could wear yeah i'm kind of i want to do skirts yeah mm-hmm. right that would look good i want right? to do skirts yeah and then like i've got all these leggings and it's just like i could wear a skirt too so like we were literally going in there to see if there was anything that like caught our fancy and this dude's like y'all like basketball and i'm just like no sir like it was just so funny and i just right when we walked into Coles, we were just like okay let's go look at some uh camisoles and uh caftans and Ooh, a caftan. Yes. I would really like to do some caftans right about now. <laughs> so any last words on this subject, gentlemen? Well, it's I, I'll say this. As someone who is from the South, this is very sad to me. Um, you know, born and raised West Virginia, but it's also consider myself a Kentuckian because I spent a significant amount of time there. It makes it harder to, to not – not trying to be all uppity like New Englander about it, but it's just it really is just disappointing that the place that you grow up and that you love is is kind of becoming part of this uh, regressive thing. That's... No, I I mean because I, I'm from Louisiana and I, I get it that the idea of us leaving this part of the country to move back home is inconceivable to me because I have no interest in going back to a part of the country where my relationship or, or people that I care about would could be harmed or or hurt like so, that's not a that, I mean, and it is it's very sad because I love where I come from but I would never go back there yeah so shout out to all those folks who are fighting the good fight down there yeah. in those areas um, and you know I also uh, I guess one other thing has been sort of you know we talked about like the, the 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 problematic kind of you know passing kind of activism, but also like I think um, people who um, who kind of have that you know that kind of very simple attitude of like well if you feel comfortable using whichever bathroom you should just use it and no one should care and that should be the end of it so that very libertarian hands off kind of approach to it. Um, I would think people also need to think more about that perspective and kind of how it's like a not taking a side is to take a side of the oppressor, mm-hmm. to put it in very, you know, bold language, I guess. No, bold but true. Thanks, Dr. Bell Hooks. Well, thank you, Patrick, for joining us. Thank you for having me. This was fun. This was fun. Um, as always, thank you for listening to the podcast. If you have not yet, go to iTunes and subscribe. Uh, leave us a review and some stars. 
That'll make us happy. Um, also, you can find us on Facebook at Bearded Fruit or find us on the web at www.beardedfruit.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, bye. <laughs>